So good morning. Oh, God, it's so good to praise God. We are continuing with our series that we've been doing this fall. You're probably up to speed by now, but in case you're not, been in and out or not been here. We're spending this fall talking about what makes Brantford Bible Chapel Brantford Bible Chapel. What do we believe? What do we do? Why do we do the things that we do? Um, so, so we've already talked about uh, what it means to be in fellowship here. Right? James talked about that. Um, John talked about elders and deacons. No, James did elders and deacons, right? Uh, and John did baptism. We've got more steps coming. We're going to be going right up through uh, December. Um, so what we want to remind you, too, we've been saying each message, is in December we've set aside one of the Sundays instead of a message that's going to be Q&A with the elders. We'll answer, answer your questions, but what we're asking you to do is give us your questions in advance. We're not going to take them in the fly and be... Um, you know, kind of in conflict up here. So you can drop them in the box or give them to one of us anytime. Any of your questions, we'll review them, and then we'll, we'll spend that time, you know, sharing the questions and then, then answering them. It's important that we're unified as a body, and we all realize when we're on the same page with what we believe and why we do what we do and, and who we are. Today, um, we are going to talk about, I guess the easiest way to put it is women in the church. So what I want to do is look at some verses, kind of show some differences between men and women, before we get started. So turn to Romans chapter 12, please. While you're turning there, I'm going to open up in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you again for our Lord Jesus Christ, who loves us uh, with a love that is unequalable, unequal, immeasurable, and incredible. And as we spend time in your word this morning, uh, we want him to be glorified and exalted uh, as we grow in the knowledge of your word and in him, and as we continue to be transformed into his likeness. Uh, that's what we ask for when we study your word. Uh, help us to understand your truth and to be submissive to it uh, as it alters our lives and makes us uh, in the image of our Lord. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse uh, 4. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. I don't see any difference between men and women in there, do you? I thought, I thought I had something there, but I must have missed it. It looks like it's the same for everybody, right? All right, let's turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I've got to have it in this one. I'm sure there's something different about us in this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read verses 4 through 6, and then we're going to jump down to 27. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Let's scroll down to verse 27. I scroll, you flip. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healings, 
helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles. Do all have gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts. I, I don't see anything in there that says the difference between men and women outside of apostles. <laughs> we'll say apostles were clearly men. I don't see anything different in there. All right, let's try Ephesians chapter 1. Got to find something in here. Can't give up. Ephesians chapter 1. There's got to be some differences between men and women. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him we also have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trust in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Do you find anything in there that says the difference between men and women? Not a word. Not a word. In the body of Christ, there is not a difference in any of these verses. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. This, is, this has got to be just about men, I think. It's got to be, right? Got to be some difference here. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Even in the priesthood, in the royal priesthood of the believer, there's not a difference between men and women, is there? Not a difference. We all have gifts. We all have access to the same gifts. We're all priests unto God. So what's the difference? Why do we even need to have a message about women? As I was, as I was preparing this, I'm thinking, do we even need to address women separately in the church? Uh, but yeah, actually, we do. If you turn with me to... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There are some differences. But I wanted us to have a foundation before we look into these things because there are some challenges in this passage and there's been a lot of misinterpretation and we want to share our view, our belief here in the, ch- in the chapel on this passage of 1 Corinthians 11 in regards to the head covering. So that's mainly what our purpose is this morning, to understand the head covering, and to be transparent as we go through this passage. We're going to do kind of an expository view of this chapter, but we're also going to address some things that are um, prominent, prominent in our culture today that are, I don't think, biblical in, in the view and the interpretation of the Scripture. This is a passage that has been accepted in the church since the beginning of the church. 
And it's only become a question since like the 1960s. It's really been accepted in the church of head coverings since the beginning. So we're going to study this together. This is not a message to the women, by the way. This is a message to the church. I'm not addressing the women. I'm addressing the church this morning because it is a belief that we hold, and we're going to study why this is um, profitable scripturally. So beginning in chapter, uh, verse 2 of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. Sorry, I'm off track. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. Judge among yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. There are some challenging verses in there. Uh, very honest, some challenging verses. But I think when we study them, and don't just read them superficially, um, I think we'll understand Paul's teaching, and it shouldn't be that hard, um, what we want to do. But I want to thank God, because last week, if you were here, if not, I encourage you to listen to the message. Our brother Rob Brennan came, guest speaker. No idea what we're speaking on as far as I know. And he came and talked about authority. He addressed the, the importance of subjecting ourselves to all authority. All authority is pointed by God. God has ordained all things from government to families to church. Everything is established by God. God is a God of order. God has designed things to be in a way so that there is order. Because when there's order, it glorifies God. It's the way God does things. It's the way God wants things. And this is part of that. The whole letter to the church in Corinth is addressing mistakes that they are making in the church. The whole letter. right? It's going back to the, the sin that they didn't address. And, and we're going to talk about this. From here, he's going on through their behavior when the church meets in the Lord's Supper and the behavior of the church when they get together. So this is addressing um, a teaching that he thinks that they need to learn from that they're not practicing. In chapter, and no, sorry, I keep saying chapter. In verse 2, the first thing I want to clarify, and this is where I think some people begin to take this as, as something that they can dismiss as scripture, is he says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. Now when we read the word traditions in English, we tend to think, well, it's just something that somebody said we ought to do, but it doesn't really matter. It's just something that they did. The word translated into Greek means precept. It's not something we've always done, like we have Thanksgiving dinner at 1 o'clock. That's a tradition. This is a precept. A precept in the Word of God 
is instructional teaching. So what Paul is saying is, we have been passing down these things to you that are instructions for you to follow. So remember me and keep them. There's a different way that we can use the word traditions, right? For example, you could say it's a tradition based on this word that we meet on the first day of the week and remember the Lord Jesus Christ. That's something that's been passed down from the first church. That's a tradition like Paul's using it. The fact that Brantford Bible Chapel starts at 9.15 is Brantford Bible Chapel's tradition. We can change that any time we want because there's nothing to do with Scripture. But we meet on the first day of the week. That's a precept. Understand? We observe the Lord's Supper. The things that we do, baptism, these are all traditions by that definition because they're precepts. They're teachings that have been passed on. So we want to be careful to observe and recognize the difference. Jesus Christ rightly and justly used this word to criticize the Pharisees often because they took the traditions from their fathers and exploited them for their own gain. And we would never want to do that in something in that regard. But this is a teaching from the Word of God. In this regard, practicing the head covering, as as we're going to study it, does not take anything from anyone or keep anything from anyone. You still worship, but it's a practice that was passed down. Now in verse 3, Paul writes this, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. I think it's safe to say that this verse has established a, a biblical teaching, if you want, of a term that's used called headship. We call this headship. It is a recognition that God has things in an order and there's heads above other things. The head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, if we, I'm not going to replay Rob's message last week, but are we not called to be those who are in submission in all things? We're subject to one another, we're submission to God. Jesus Christ himself is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He has the name that is above every name. And yet, he submits himself to God the Father. And he has no problem with it whatsoever. He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. It was not a problem for him to say, he is my head. Jesus Christ did not exist to challenge God. The power and authority was not his to grasp and seek. It is not man's to challenge Christ for his head. According to this, man is the head of woman. It is not an opportunity to be explicitly clear. Headship, especially when it comes to the Word of God and we understand the Lord Jesus Christ, has nothing to do with power, dominance, or superiority. It is strictly an understanding of the roles that God has given us, the way he designed us when he created us. And we submit to that. We accept that. It absolutely has been used as an exploitation for power, in the church and in the home. Headship has certainly been used as an exploitive for power in, even in the home in marriages. But if we understand the Lord Jesus Christ, we look at headship as one that submits, that serves, that sacrifices. That's godly headship. Godly headship says, I will lay down my life for you. That's my responsibility. And that's responsibility when we look at headship. 
you know, I have, um, you know, a job at work where I'm a supervisor, and I also submit, I have authority. We have a president. president has a vice president. The vice president has my boss, who's an associate vice president. And then there's me, and then there's people under me. I give direction based on the direction from my boss. My boss gets his direction from his boss, who gets his direction from his boss, right? We have a mission at the university. This is our purpose. This is what we do. And everything that's passed down and given as instruction is simply passed on to those who do the next step in the work. So when I give my staff instruction, they should listen to me as if it came from the president because that's the purpose. That's my job, to pass it on. And that's the, the flow here from God to Christ to man to woman. Now, if the president goes to someone who works for me and tells them something to do, they're not going to say, I can't listen to you because I listen to Greg. They can on their last day, but not, not on that day, right? And the same thing with me. Now, if, the, if I get told to do something by someone above my boss, the first thing I do is I go to my boss and say, hey, I'm let you know this guy told me to do this. He's at your level or higher, so I'm letting you know. That's the way authority and respect and headship kind of works. It's, it's respect for one another, but accepting our roles. I can't go out and do what I want to do and disregard my authority. Man cannot do what he wants in the church and disregard Jesus Christ. Men's role in leadership, in headship, is to simply move forward the body of Christ in ministries according to the will of Christ, not their own will. If that happens, we are not following the scripture. We are not following the scripture in any way, shape, or form. It is not for men to do their will because they've been given a role of authority. It is for men to serve and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ alone in his will, and to ensure that in our ministries and in our work in Bradford Bible Chapel, we're following the pattern and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all it is. And if it means we have to sacrifice ourselves and serve, then that's what we do. It is not for men to sit here and say, you go do that because I said so. It's just the opposite. It's completely the opposite. An important thing about this passage that I had never really considered until I recently just studied it for today. This passage is always considered head coverings for women, right? Head coverings for women, 1 Corinthians 11. But look what he says next. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. So really, this chapter is about men too. You see any men wearing hats? You ever seen a man wearing a hat in church? Doesn't happen, right? Do men, do you just take your hats? I've seen men come in and take their hats off as soon as they walk in. You do that just because you think it's the gentlemanly thing to do? You should be doing it in observance to the word of God that we are not to have our heads covered when the church meets and when we pray and when we, and when we preach and when we teach. That's, that's, that's to us too. We are under submission to the word of God not to cover our heads. We're not different or better than women because we don't have to cover our heads. If a man covered his head, he'd be sinning. We're not separated. We don't have anything different. If a brother stood up with a hat on, wouldn't somebody say something? Right? I know if they were within range, I'd be like, dude, dude, hat, dude, right? You might even like give him an elbow, right? We wouldn't make a scene or anything, but we would certainly address it. We're both under the same teaching of the Word of God. But men and women are different. We read all those verses. I wanted to establish a foundation of all the things that we have in common so that it's clear that there's the one Christ 
One salvation through the whole body for men and women. But we are different. Now in verse 5, Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, which is the man, for that is one of the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. That's like a tongue twister, shorn or shaved. Let her be covered. So one of the things that people, uh, let me finish verse 7. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. We'll talk about that in a second. One of the things that's been taught on this passage, and I think it's an error, is that this is a cultural thing. Head coverings were something they did in Corinth 2,000 years ago and is not relevant today. This is a letter to the church in Corinth. We've already read in the first part that Paul is talking, that he's painting down these traditions to all churches. This is not just for these guys. So people have tried to say that it was a cultural thing about women shaving their heads and and I'm going to talk some more about this a little bit and, and, and the prostitutes in Corinth and, and what they look like and all those kinds of things. I don't see that here. I want to tell you that from my personal experience studying the Word of God and Paul's writings, when Paul addresses something cultural, he says it. In the previous chapter in this book, he talks about eating meat offered to idols. Right? That's a cultural thing. We don't have meat offered to idols anymore, but we certainly take that teaching to heart as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, not to observe anything that's idolatrous. right? We are a sanctified people. We are set apart. So we do not practice that. There's, there's no place down here down the street that has a, a temple to Aphrodite and they're offering meat sacrifices, so we don't have to worry about that. But we still take the message that we do not practice things that are idolatrous, that people in the world will look at us and say, you're no different than anybody else. You, you must not, your God must not be real because you're just... You're observing things that the pagans do. We are set apart and we are separated. And so what we don't want to do is we don't want to take the illustration that was given at the time that they understood and gave a point and say, that's the point. It's not the point, it's the illustration. The illustration gives us the point that we are set apart and we are to practice these things. So if we just take this as, well, it was something that that women being shorn and cutting their heads, whether it was because of Corinth or Greece, culture, whatever the case may be, Paul's using that as the illustration why they should have their heads covered. Not just because it was going on at that time. Now, verses 7 and 8 and 9 and 10. It says, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. A woman is the glory of man. For man is not for woman, but woman for man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, I think we know it pretty well, but I want us to look at it anyway. Because this is what Paul is talking about. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 7. All the earth and heavens and waters and plants, trans, lands, plants, trees. How's that how the song goes? And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Scroll down. 
to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Who's in the garden right now? It's just the man. This is what Paul is talking about. He is not saying man is better than woman. He's speaking of the creation order, and here we see it right here. Just a reminder that we know we've read this since we were kids, if you've been in the church that long. God created man. He said, let us make man in our image, is what he said, right? That's chapter 1. Then he says, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the fields and brought them to Adam to see what he could call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. In verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And let's just throw in, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Paul is bringing us back to the fact that God created them, and he created them in this order, and he created them with this purpose. He created man in his image, and then he created woman from the man to be his helper. That's all. It's not any more complicated than that. It's the order in which he made us. We don't have to make it harder than that. We don't have to complicate it and spin it around. But what happened in the garden? The serpent manipulated Eve, and then Eve went to her husband, right? Now you notice that God told Adam not to eat of the fruit. Eve wasn't even made yet. And yet when the serpent approaches Eve, what did she say? God said we should not eat it. So Adam taught his wife. So God said we should not eat that, and she knew. And yet, the serpent lies to her and says, when you eat this, you will not die. And then she goes to her husband and she says, he said, if we eat this, we won't die. It's good for us. And there's where Adam fails. This is where headship falls apart and why when the church meets, headship is important because God created everything to work this way. And the first man and the first woman did not follow God's protocol and order. And Adam did not exercise his headship and say, no. God said, we shall not eat this. She went to her husband and said, should we eat this? He said, it's good. Now, technically, if her husband said, God said not to eat that, she should have said no and walked away. Right? That's all she should have needed. But regardless, she still went to her husband. And Adam fails. Adam fails her, and he fails all of us, because now they partake of the fruit. That was Adam's job. That was Adam's job as head. So what Paul is saying, you remember what we read back in Ephesians chapter 1, and Christ has restored all things back to himself. Now that the church meets, we are presenting the fact that God has restored things back to himself. That's all he's saying in 1 Corinthians. Men, this message is to both to us as well. We have a responsibility in headship. Not to be passive, not to sit back. 
there's a responsibility to lead and to function as God has designed us and not to be lazy and sit back. Sorry to be blunt, but that's the truth. Doesn't it seem kind of, well, maybe this is too harsh. If you find this is too harsh, come talk to me. But it almost seems hypocritical to say we believe in headship and then we don't lead. Doesn't it seem hypocritical to say we believe in headship and then we don't lead? We are to lead in worship. We are to lead in ministries. We are to lead in prayer. It's a responsibility that this passage speaks of. It is not just about women covering their heads and being submissive, but it's also about men following God's plan and our responsibilities as men in the church. Now, in verse 10, he says this, For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. The word symbol is really one of the anchor points of this passage. It is just a symbol. You cannot cover your head and still believe in headship. It doesn't change it. But why do we do it publicly? Was it cultural? Well, we have a symbol called the Lord's Supper, right? We have a symbol called baptism. These are things that are symbolic that the church does. Symbolism does matter to God. He wants to see things. He wants to see us do things that represent what he has done. Now, there are a lot of things that could probably be brought out and argued, again, about whether this was a cultural practice or it's an ongoing practice. And the whole thing hangs upon, of anything else that you want to discuss, in verse 10, because of the angels. I'd like to hear someone who can tell me that this passage only matters because there were angels in Corinth 2,000 years ago, and this was just for them. These were just special angels 2,000 years ago. That's all that it mattered to. It doesn't matter today. A symbol of authority because of the angels. Let's think about angels. This is kind of the center point of this whole passage. And he begins with, for this reason, because of the angels. Not because of men, not because of the world, but because of the angels. Were angels not present when God created everything? Even before that, were angels not present when their fellow angels rebelled against God? Were angels not present when one who was the highest angel rebelled and said, I want to be like God, I am equal to God, and had to be cast out on all those who followed him? That's a rebellion against headship. That's a rebellion against authority. The angels were there when their co-angels that they served God with and they worshipped God with, Lucifer was supposedly the head angel and leader of music and worship. And and imagine someone here who you've worked and served with and loved and worshipped God with turns around and says, I'm the head of the church. I'm starting my own church. I'm the head of the church. Come follow me. Wouldn't you be brokenhearted? You should be brokenhearted. 
And that's what happened to the angels when there was rebellion in heaven. And then after that, they see God create everything. And the angels were there when God created everything. The angels were there when God said, let us make man in our image. Angels were not made in God's image. So the angels are in awe that God made man in his image and then made woman. And they lived in the garden and walked with God. They're, man was a different being than angels. The angels were present when the one who was cast out for rebelling against God manipulated Adam and Eve and caused them to fall and be cast out of the garden. They saw what happened when headship wasn't followed. They saw the destruction and the chaos because they did not follow God's order. The angels were present. And many years later, the one that they've been made to worship and serve came down from heaven and was born in a manger with a purpose and a plan. And the angels proclaimed, did not the angels proclaim the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Behold, I bring you good tidings. Who did that come from? It came from the angels. The angels were there. The angels were present when he was rejected by the ones he came to save. The angels were present. All that's happened since Satan fell, since man fell, and now they see the one that they have been made to worship and honor suffering and hanging on a cross for those he came to save. The angels were present when the tomb was opened and the Lord rose again. So what we do matters when we gather in the worship of God. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, please. Oh, what they have seen. What they have seen. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. Do you realize that our saved condition is amazing to angels? Do you realize right now, when the church gathers, angels look in in awe and think, wow, because angels can't be saved. The angels who rebelled were cast out and that's their position for eternity until God cast them into the lake of fire and, and, and everything is addressed. But we get salvation. We get to be a part of the living Christ, the one they've always known. We have that. Angels look upon that and they go, wow. They look in in awe. The gospel that they can't experience 
they look upon us and they think, man. So it's because of the angels. Anything else? I, I, I would like to know what contradicts the angels. But now, to address any confusion that Paul may have created because of people thinking that he's saying men are more important than women, which is not the case, in verse 11 he says, Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. We all come from God. The head covering doesn't mean that men are more important than women and women exist just for men. Men don't exist without women. It's true. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. So Paul begins and closes this portion with the fact that this is to all the churches, not just this church in Corinth. And what I think he's talking about in this passage is not that everyone has to have a certain haircut and women have to have long hair. It's about how you wear your hair. Your hair can be short and feminine. It can be long and feminine. A man can have long hair and maybe not be feminine. I did, you know. Uh, But it's not to be feminine. That's what I think Paul is addressing. Boys are boys and girls are girls. That's the way God made us. That's the way we're supposed to present ourselves. So going back up to the chapter, we're putting this one together with the, one up, the verse up above, and Paul talks about, let her be shorn. Look, if you want to be a man, then just look like a man. That's basically what he's saying. Men are men, and women are women. If you want to be a man, then make yourself look like a man. If you want to be a woman, make yourself look like a woman. But that is a shame. It doesn't mean women can't have short hair, and men can't have somewhat linked to their hair. Men's hair does not grow like women's hair does. I tried. Um, but we are different. Now, what does he mean a woman's hair is her glory? I suppose it could be looked at a lot of different ways. But it is something that draws attention. That's kind of what the word glory means. The glory of something draws attention to the other thing. So a woman's hair is her glory because women look at her, you look at women's hair and you go, wow, you look really nice today. And I think that's a great thing. You should look beautiful. Use what God's given you. Whatever makes you comfortable and feel like a woman is wonderful. But what God is saying when we church meets together, there's only one who gets glory. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever draws glory away from Christ, we're not to show it. It does not mean that just because you have long hair, you have a covering. What Paul is saying is, again, an example 
that women are different than men. And so when we get together, we show that we are back under the order that God made. Men are different than women, and women are different than men. And so we cover our hair as women to show that we recognize the authority that God has put in place. We submit to God. And we do not want anything to draw glory. Does a head covering have to cover all the hair based on this passage? Some people think so. I'm going to leave it to the heart. I think if a woman puts on a head covering and wears it in a way that makes sure her hair still shows because she wants her hair to receive glory, then I think she needs to address that in her heart. But I think if it's a humble submission, I'm not going to worry about whether how much hair is showing. That's not what we want to do. It's not what we want to be about. It's about the heart. I'm going to put this on, but I want to make sure I still look really good. Kind of defeating the purpose. Kind of contradicting what, what we're looking to do here. We have no such custom, nor do the churches of God, if anyone seems to be contentious. We're not going to argue about this. We're not going to fight about this. This is a a teaching throughout the churches. So uh, what I want to share, I've got to wrap up because we're supposed to get in corporate prayer. I still have more to do. Um, There's a a guy, I'm sorry, I didn't catch his name. Um, I got it from someone else. But he broke down this chapter the following ways. In 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 3 is about headship. Chapters 4 through 16 are about the head covering. But now chapters 17 to 34, which we're going to get into um, shortly, is head remembering. Do I keep saying saying chapters? I don't know. Maybe it's a stroke. I don't know. Um, I actually wrote chapter in my notes, too. So verses 3, verse 3 is about headship. Verses 4 through 16 speak on the head covering. But then he goes on to talk about head remembering because that's what it's all about is honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. What we want to do, what our passion is, is to be biblical. What we're seeking here at Brantford Bible Chapel is to be biblical. This is a biblical passage that teaches and there is nothing in it that shows it was cultural, just the opposite. There are some people, there's, there's one person in particular who is a very prominent uh, pastor right now, very prominent on the Internet and on videos, and some things he teaches exceptionally well, some things I disagree with him on. But he's very popular, and he wrote a phenomenal paper on the roles of men and women. And he is biblical and dead on in every single point about headship from creation to now. And then he gets to this passage and he says it was cultural. And I don't get where he gets it from. There's nothing in this passage that tells me it's cultural. So even those who agree with headship think that this is no longer to be practiced because it was just something that had to do with prostitutes in Corinth 2,000 years ago and when the women went out. But that's been disputed in, in research of the culture at the time. So I've got to wrap this up, but I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 14. Appreciate your patience. Again, I want to cover, it's important to cover this because what we're trying to cover is who we are at Brantford Bible Chapel. First Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. 
Again, all these teachings are for all the churches. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. Very simply, according to the word of God, when the church meets, women are to be silent. They're not to teach or exercise authority over men. It's not hard. It may be hard for some to to accept, but it's a very simple, straightforward teaching of the word of God. I can't make it any more complicated or be fancy with it. It's, It's very simple. Based on the orders that we've just looked at in uh, chapter 11, headship and guidance, Paul teaches now. This is all part of one teaching. Remember, Paul didn't write in chapters, right? It was a letter. And he's addressing all this stuff together about when the church meets. So women, if you have a husband, you should go to your husband and ask him to teach you things, and then you can go to the elders if you need to. If there is no husband or whatever the case may be, you're certainly welcome to come to the elders and ask any questions. But when the church meets, women are not to teach or exercise authority over men. Now, we can get really kind of gray and funky with this and say, well, what about this and what about that? And what about asking for prayer and what about making an announcement? You know, a lot of those things may not actually cover un- fall under this passage technically. But when we start opening the, the door a crack, we start opening up opportunity where actually we do compromise this teaching. And so the easy way for us to stay biblical and to stay honoring God is just to say, women, be silent. And if you have a a passage, if you have a prayer request, if you have a song, just pass it to a man and we will share it. No one is going to be disregarded. We don't need to look to disregard anyone. We're all one church, all worshiping together and serving God. Um, But so that we do not compromise this commandment from the Lord, we find it easier and safer just to be completely silent and address these things um, in an honoring and respectful way. Now, when it comes to ministries, uh, women can lead ministries here, but women-only ministries. A woman cannot exercise authority over man because that's what the Scripture says. So if we have a, a women's-led ministry and a woman wants to lead it, the elders do not have a problem with that. But if men are in it, like Sunday school teachers... Uh, we cannot have a, a woman exercising authority over men. It's just trying to be honoring to the word of God. And um, so if a woman has a desire for a ministry, please come talk to the elders. So James talked about this with elders and, and deacons a, a couple weeks ago. If you have a heart for a ministry, come talk to us. We're here to support you. It's not just for the men. It's for the whole body. So if God's convicting you for a ministry, then come talk to the elders. We'll, we'll be happy to... Uh, um, to talk with you and, and lead you in it and pray for you and help you get it uh, so that it honors God. You know, sometimes people come in and visit Brantford and they see women doing certain things and they think that we think that's the only thing women can do. You know, so we have some women who clean up in the kitchen after coffee. That's not our view of women. That's the, the heart of those women who want to serve in that ministry. It's not, it's, it's not a woman's places in the kitchen kind of, kind of thing. That's where those women want to serve. So I want to make sure that everyone understands that there's an openness to ministry for everyone. For everyone. I want to close with one passage. I know I'm way over time. Philippians chapter 4, please.
Philippians chapter 4. And I ur- uh, verse 3. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Some translations will call them fellow laborers. Fellow laborers in the gospel. We are all working together for the same purpose. We're all working together for the one thing, the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing him, glorifying him, exalting him. And so we want to do the things that he commands us to do so that he receives the glory. Any question on anything I've shared, any correction, any communication, please, more than happy to talk about it. Um, Hopefully it wasn't a challenging or boring uh, passage, but um, it's the truth of, of, of the word of God. And we want to know why. Want everyone to know why we do what we do here. So, uh, let's close in prayer, and then we're going to have corporate prayer. Yeah. Sure. I tell you what, I ran way over, so we're going to put off corporate prayer for next week. I'll just close. Lord our God, we thank you again that men and women equally have been restored and reconciled to you by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism for all of us to participate in. There is one gospel for us to work towards. That there is no superiority in the body of Christ. There is one head. It is the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives and here at Brantford Bible Chapel. So Lord, help us to be convicted to your word, to observe your word with the sole purpose of humbly honoring and glorifying you. Not to glorify men, not to glorify one another, but to glorify you. Lord Jesus, you are the head of this church, and we want to exalt you in all things that we do. So help us, speak to our heart, humble us before you. We thank you again for your great mercy and love that we have found in our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name, amen.